Welcome to the Salad Days Podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite artists, talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings. Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days and hang out for a bit. Our journey this week features our special guest, Wax Mannequin, a.k.a. Chris Adney. So Wax Mannequin is one of those artists that, a project, whatever you want to call it, that uh, came on the radar of Zunior in definitely the earliest days. And we have uh, a label within Zunior called the Zunior Label. And uh, we've done a bunch of releases on that. And so uh, Wax Mannequin's record, Saxon, uh, is one of the albums on the label. And through that, we got even more involved in doing, uh, you know, Chris has provided songs for our uh, Christmas uh, records and uh, various projects that we've done over the years. So our paths have crossed a lot. And so getting Chris involved... Uh, in one of these conversations was something I just had to do, and he's got this new record out, which is really great. So uh, we thought we would have a get together and and uh, and and do the do. And so here it is, Wax Mannequin. Salad days, salad days. I, you know, I just, I just, you know. Um, did the hilarious, you know, I checked your wiki right before I came on here and it was, I did not realize your brother was the, the money mustache guy. It's kind of funny because I've, I've <laughs> some through, I don't know how, through, as soon as I saw the name, I was like, I've totally checked that out before. I don't remember what context, but I've, yeah. I've, I've checked out his writing. Like I, I couldn't, for some reason I recall, I think a specific article where he talked about, I think it was him making a homemade pizza for his kid. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that is a family tra- long-running family tradition. But yeah, I, I read that one too. Because <laughs> no, it is that's something when I was growing up, we did uh, Saturday night pizza, homemade. It was a funny thing. Although this could be like a preamble into one of my questions. So, so you know what I'm going to do? Let's let's actually start right in, and I'm just going to yeah. say the uh, the uh, the intro. Uh, or when I start off, I usually like to um, just sort of reference a point of common history. Uh, backstory that we have and of course you know there's the thing uh called zunior that i started a long time ago and there were some people that were there at the very 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 beginning and i think of you and your music as one of the very first things that i ever put up i think the connection might have been dave clark i'm not sure but um when i think of one of the times that i i think first met you was might have been the second year of zunior we decided to do a live show at the horseshoe yeah and we had uh a bunch of bands play, including Dave Clark, probably Woodchoppers. It was uh, Scribbled Out Man. Yeah. It was notable for me because it was the first and only time I ever played a couple of songs from uh, a project, solo project that I did called Egger. But you that. played, and what I remember was just that you were, like, I almost feel like you've had a few different personas over the years or a few different like musical approaches. And my memory is that you were, you were very big at that time. Like you had... I, for some reason, I think of maybe a drummer with like a huge kit or sure. lots of lots of lots of intense gear, um, <laughs> and you know, it kind of took you a while to get set up and stuff like that. What do you remember about that very first show? The I first th- show for me, that is. I think I, I think I remember that one with the Scribble Up Man and any folks. Um, I'm sure I was touring at that time with Aidan Campbell, who uh, is a really virtuosic player drummer, uh, and he would take a while with his kit. 
Um, he played on what was it? My fourth record, Orchard and Ire, and uh, it's uh, his wizardry is is clear there. He also uh, he also really stripped it down for my fifth record, which is kind of the polar opposite to the bombast of Orchard and Ire on Saxon. Did, yep. he, he managed to do something a lot more folky, but uh, really elaborate. It was a lot of fun, I think, for him to try to um, play quietly and with brushes and with with nu- nuance uh, when he's used to really putting it out there. So it was a, a good pair of records we did. I keep in touch with him. Uh, usually I see him once or twice a year when I play in Kingston. I think he still does some stuff with the mansion, ho- uh, the mansion house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good guy. Good cool. guy. Okay, great, great. Miss, okay, so well, he's still there, I guess. So that's that's I good. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's set just to set the stage. Uh, just uh, tell tell me where uh, where you're joining from today and where it was that you grew up. I'm in my messy basement in Ancaster, Hamilton. Ancaster, Hamilton. I think we can call it that now. Um. I grew up in Caledonia, which is about uh, twenty minutes south of here. Okay, the uh, the sort of goal uh, for these conversations that I'm trying to do is is get at the how and the why uh, people sure. started playing music and like kind of like the the real origins, you know. And so right. one of the ways I try to set set that up is to talk about what it might be like if we were in your wherever you grew up your house that is uh, or apartment or whatever, and uh, what what life was like on a Friday or Saturday night what might've been on the stove uh, cooking, what smells there might be. And so the, the question is, you know, uh, what, what actually was on the stove and why do you remember it so well? On the stove, um, probably some kind of casserole like, um, or a homemade lasagna. My mom would make a lasagna every couple of weeks and uh, she would use the ricotta cheese and the noodles and sort of crisscross the noodles in a sort of a, Almost a plaid. It was like a plaid. That's that's kind of how you do the lasagna, isn't it? You crisscross the noodles with yeah, that's layers good. of ricotta and sauce, and it just reminded. Watching her do that reminded me of plaid. And my dad played jazz piano um, uh, as a hobbyist since he was a teenager, and he never really brought it out and played publicly. But he got quite good, and would always play when it was time to go. He would sit down. It was time to go somewhere. He would sit down and play some jazz piano uh, while waiting for us to be ready. And that's how we knew it was time to go. But uh, yeah, that's, those were the Caledonia days. We had a, an old brick house, a big old brick house as you do in Caledonia. And um, over the years, it was pretty, it it began out pretty dingy. And over the years of my childhood, uh, it would be, we were renovating it over various stages. So it was always in a state of uh, renovation and uh, my folks, too, were in a state of renovation, sort of finding themselves. They married quite young, and they found themselves over the years together and found themselves over the years apart when they separated. My mom uh, was a visual artist, kind of came into her own in her 30s, making uh, lots of drawings and paintings in our house and then moved into uh, sculpture, uh, working with clay and making big boxes and installations and things. Uh, trucking them into Hamilton and showing them uh, around Ontario, all while we lived in our little town. Eventually, uh, we we grew beyond. Well, my parents grew apart, but my, the family, uh, my mom 
and my brother and I and uh, went to Hamilton for my master. My, my sisters had moved out uh, long before to live in Ottawa and work in the high tech industry. And I stuck around Hamilton all these years because it's my home. I, I love that, the image. Does that cover everything? I don't know. Oh no, yeah, it sure does. I was going to ask you about siblings. <laughs> yeah, no, oh. like you covered you covered your siblings and all that kind of stuff. And but I love the image of you know it's time to go, kids. Instead of like screaming, uh, you know, you get jazz piano playing is like the kind of the, the, <laughs> ring, the it's like the ringtone. You know, I love that. Yeah, it was a good approach. I mean, I don't think he planned it that way. He just wanted to get some practice in while while he was waiting for us. But uh, it, uh, I think it's a more thoughtful approach than trying to wrangle my kid off the computer uh, as I do. Oh yeah. Do, do you, do you remember um, specifically what kind of, what kind of other music, maybe even the pieces that he was playing or what were some of the other like music that you might have found in the house, whether that's, you know, like vinyl or radio or what, what kind of music was happening? Dad would play a lot of boogie woogie, uh, Charlie Parker. No, well, that's just more trumpet stuff, but, uh, uh, Duke Ellington and things like that, which is more not boogie woogie, but in that in that wheelhouse of 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 uh, you know mid twentieth uh, century jazz, and my sisters always dabbled with instruments. I took some piano lessons growing up, but it never stuck until sort of high school. The guitar, uh, a lot of a lot of vinyl around, of course, um, Talking Heads and 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 David Bowie and uh, uh, what's that one? Oh, yeah, but the Pink Floyd with the, the trippy uh, album art. Yes, uh, and some Frank Zappa. <laughs> really got got into that a, a little too young, younger than I should have probably. But. Was your um, where do you sit in the in the order of the the birth order? This has come up before. I'm just wondering, uh, are you the last or middle or? I am the youngest. Wow, yeah, that's it's almost like an unbroken str- string of. Of the people I've talked to, I think. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know yeah, what it weird. is. That, Me too. I'm well, last black of seven. Sheep thing. Is that so? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Funny. Yeah. Uh, they okay, all so became it, computer engineers. Uh, and I was uh, okay at the maths, but uh, it felt like a run to the litter in that regard. I, I was, uh, so I didn't get into uh, more technical things. I was a bit more distractible and messy and, uh, and, uh, and just picked up more instruments um the uh um the first time that you sort of got access to some kind of equipment do you remember how it came into your house and how how did you get i'm assuming maybe it was a guitar but what, what was it and how did you get it yeah well dad always had guitars around a nylon string guitar so that's why i still play the nylon because i have a real nostalgia for it he would play freight train freight train going so fast Freight train, freight train, on oh, his finger picking, um, and he would play the piano. And what else? He he worked for uh, an ad company in Hamilton called Russell T. Kelly. They would make advertisements for um, all kinds of people, and posters and things, and and uh, did a lot of work for Defasco, um, making their tagline and stuff. And so he would bring home these interviews. He would have. Um, he would he would have a huge reel to reel recorder and and hit record button and, because he's trying to talk to the client and get what information they could and, and kind of piece together a, an authentic ad for them and so he'd bring home this huge reel to reel and 
uh, we'd hit play and he'd have my, he would, he would have my mother, uh, and he would take, they would take turns sort of writing out, uh, word by word, line by line, what, uh, what was said. Right. And so he could go back and take pieces of that for, uh, the copy. Um, and then of course, when it wasn't in use, my brother and I, uh, could just mess around with this reel to reel and play it backwards and, and put it and create feedback loops with this microphone and, and just really zone out on the, on the decaying sound. Um, it was just absolute magic saying something to the microphone and hearing it repeated back at us again and again and slowly getting more muffled and muted until it became, uh, just analog beeping noises, beep, 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 beep. Like, where yeah. are you going? Where are you going? Here are you going? Hey, 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 hey. It's funny because I can remember both getting access in a similar way to a a reel-to-reel tape recorder. And it was one of the first times I'd ever heard, you know, my own voice back. But then later on in high school, I don't remember how it came into the house, but somehow we had an actual tape, kind of like a tape loop machine that came in somehow. And it was Mm -hmm. that that same experience, the beep, 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 (laughs) fading away. (laughs) Yeah, that was like, to me, that that, that opened another dimension of like, what you could do with with semantics and sound and stuff. And I think it stuck with me. Um, what else? Yeah, siblings went another way. Pete, Pete was very creative too, but, uh, and would record. He kind of introduced me to some of the multi-tracking stuff. He was really into coding and computers, and, and we got into um, tracking software on the Amiga, four-track uh, wow. program called Octomed, composing these little... Wicked little beats and weird epic tunes. Um, he would make a lot of, like, sample himself making these rap songs, and and I would just make uh, more orchestrated things. Uh, eventually, got into a fast tracker. I mean, I got a PC, and which really blew my mind when I could have sort of sixteen or thirty-two samples, to tracks running all at once, depending on uh, how powerful my gear was, and. Uh, and just, uh, that, and really started as an electronic musician now that I think about it. Um, uh, you know, and then and got back into guitar and things in high school. Not, not a lot of people had Amigas, but I also had an Amiga. Uh, but yeah. I can say that I did not use it at all for music. It's funny. Okay. It's funny that you say that. I'm obviously it would, would have been very powerful. I was just, uh, I used it for, uh, I can remember getting it at end of my high school time and the, thing main use for me was that it allowed me to, to create uh just really my schoolwork unbelievably quickly you know when mm. you, you could actually uh research write print uh your own uh you know output I, I bought a printer as well and this was like early days for that stuff and uh yeah it was definitely obviously it was i believe one of the first kind of gui interface uh computers you know almost Absolutely. like pre-mac you know so pretty that's uh, cool you're the first person i've heard who used the the home PC for home computer for its intended purpose. Do you remember those exactly. commercials that would be on TV? Like you could get a computer and keep a database for your recipes. Your re- you can do recipe. your homework. You can you can <laughs> research. Like wow, it does sound great. No, and then I really did. I, I can remember. I can remember turning stuff out so quickly that it was like wow. it just it meant that I could do other things. You know, which mm. was actually it was music and it was. I was really into um, like cycling and riding my bike a lot in high school and, and I had a part-time yeah. job, all these things, but it just it allowed me to stuff more stuff into a day and, and get really that's, good marks too. I had really good marks in high school. So, Oh, anything that, that you, yeah. 
typed out in the 80s, if it was typed, you'd get an A. It was like printed out. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> she printed it. Yeah. Okay, now here's here's one thing about um another, maybe a point of uh, commonality we have is, so I grew up in Oshawa, okay. and I always think of Hamilton as kind of, there's, there's definitely some overlap in a few areas between Hamilton and Ottawa. One of them, of course, is the industrialization of both, you know, mm-hmm. steel in Ottawa and cars in Oshawa. Then, then I think of, and having been to Hamilton quite a few times over the years, just even seeing the way the downtown is set up compared to Oshawa downtown. Uh, okay. You know, when I was growing up, I definitely felt, I definitely felt a draw to music. Um, maybe not even, maybe art, but not really understanding quite what that meant. And mm. I would say that Oshawa is a bit of a hockey town. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, people tend to spend their monies, or certainly then they spend it more on, you know, maybe like a boat or a big screen or something like that. Not, not as much, uh, you know, whatever, seeing live music. There was no college station. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of commonalities with Hamilton. What, what, was, what was your general feeling as it relates to music and art in Hamilton growing up? Yeah, well, Hamilton was the big city for us. So we would uh, truck into Lime Ridge and go to the arcades and stuff and catch movies. Um, I didn't really get into Hamilton music until... I guess I was about 19. So I, yeah, we, we put on shows in high school and, uh, and some of the, like, some local bands and some of the Sonic Onion bands would even come play or Chore would come. Uh, that was probably one of the first out of, out of town bands I saw my friends in Chore. And that really o- opened my mind to things. I think Gorp came out and played. That was an old C.A. Smith. Yeah. Great. Big pre Golden Lake Diner or early, early Sonic Onion band. Um, and that kind of whet my appetite for this. Mysterious, like ang- uh, heavy and angular Hamilton scene, and uh, and then went to uh, nineteen. I went to McMaster, went to art, and uh, I took took visual art for the first year. And second year, I did visual art and other stuff, and kind of got more and more into music. Um, involved in got involved in Golden Lake Diner, playing bass and singing with uh, Graham and stuff. After see hey see I had left. Corp and Golden Lake Diner formed, and I got my uh, got my chops uh, sharpened up to play some fancy uh, time arrangements on the bass. And at that point, I was writing a lot on guitar too, my own weird music, and we'd ram everyone into polos, a little bar in Hess Village, once every week or once every two weeks to uh, play. Uh, Art, mathy rock, and and everyone would bounce and jump, and the owner would come up and say that we had to stop because, like the, the, uh, the drywall and the and the plaster was, and the kind of crumbling down in this in the kitchen, <laughs> as though this this roof might collapse in on us at any moment. That's, uh, those were those were fine nights. Um, from there, I guess Brody Schwendem and oh, I lived in Ottawa for a year trying to this weird idea for a TV show and ended up uh, instead working at a telephone store and writing a bunch of songs. Um, and uh, right around that time, actually, yeah, Brody, my buddy Brody from the Casbah started booking interesting shows in Hamilton. And so I came back, uh, moved back here for more schooling. I had taken a pause in my university education. and went back to school for multimedia things and, 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 put on a bunch of uh, rock shows and uh, played the Raven. And right about that time, my friend Corwin Fox phone called and said, it, and asked if I'd uh, 
want to play a show in Ottawa. He had heard of a cassette that I'd recorded that my buddy Edwin Burnett had recorded at a London show and asked if I wanted to play a show in Ottawa. And that got me connected with the whole Ottawa crew. Um, Corwin Fox, who recently produced my, uh, the red brain, my newest record. Uh, it was those years around 19 and 20, uh, bumming around the Hamilton scene, uh, art scene and music scene that uh, gave me a lot of the friends that I still uh, feel connected to uh, today and, and, and make stuff with Edwin and Corwin and, uh, and others. I feel like these are all names that I know very well from, again, the early days of Zinger and a lot of the early days of Zinger for me was a reintroduction back into, uh, I would say the, the indie music scene in Canada because I really finished playing, and then kind of got out and started working mm-hmm. and it was, it was, it, it was around, um, you know, probably, I and mean, we started it in 2004, but this actually is a good setup for the, um, for the song. We're going to go to the second part of the conversation, which is to play mm-hmm. your embryonic track, which is from 1999. And yeah. Um, yeah. And this song is called things, things to do with rage, or the, we'll call it the early version of things to do with rage. We'll talk about it after, but, um, sure. Just note that again, it's interesting because 1999 is 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 it's kind of really just about when I stopped playing music uh, with yeah. the inbreds, but yeah. then led to these things later. So here's the song, and we'll talk after. There's a lot you can do with range There's a lot you can do with range Take it, make it like a game A small puzzle or toy train Where the engineer has got Breezy eyes all glowing Things I have done with rage And never once has it ever shone Bright blue and phosphorus There's a little guy inside He keeps it low And then takes it in himself Yes indeed There's a lot you can do with rage There's a lot you can do with rage Take it, make it burn below Like a furnace or some fuel There the maintenance man Will keep it crystalline, cool Things I have done with rage Never once has it ever shone Bright blue and phosphorus 
There's a little guy inside, he keeps it low. And then takes it in himself. Yeah. And some used springs. You can build a small machine. You can build a factory or two. Okay, so that was the, I'm going to call it the original version of Things to Do with Rage, which also appears on 
the brand new Wax Mannequin album. But uh, in the email that you sent me, uh, Chris, you talked about uh, the neurological themes on the new record and how this kind of relates. But maybe talk about this this uh, original version and how how you came to record it. It's got a lot of things that I, uh, you know, I associate with your all the music that you've done going forward, including, you know, the, the use of the the sort of the Casio backing, mm-hmm. the the way you do. Uh, I did a conversation recently with um, the Burning Hell, and they were talking about the way that you do your vocals. I, you know, with kind of like the low and the high kind of thing together, okay. and there's some signature elements that are even in this song. Right. T- tell me a bit about this this recording. Um. So this was yeah from that era uh, when I just started playing, started getting getting hooked on playing out in front of people. Um, I did a show in London that my friend Joey. Uh, Balducci had organized uh, a fellow from a, a mutual a friend of his came out, Edwin Burnett, and recorded the show, and uh, we really hit it off. Uh, ended up making a little four-track record together, recorded on his. He had an old Fostex four-track that he sped up, like a cassette four-track that he had sped yeah. up, so the tape would zip by, and burn <laughs> through like a forty-minute cassette in ten minutes or something. Um, just to, you know, so it would be super high resolution, uh, uh, and it just, in his mind, could increase the fidelity of the sound a little right. bit. Sure, sure. So we were rocking that, and I, my nylon string, I remember we had a PZM microphone, which is like a, a room mic, this flat room mic you're supposed to yes. stick on the wall. I remember uh, those. The realistic, legendary, realistic PZM. I'm at Radio Shack, but they're these studio, secretly studio quality uh, PZM mics, and what we do is stick for for cheap cheap and we'd I, I taped it under the strings of my nylon string so it kind of picked up the whole sound of the body and the strings would kind of vibrate right over top of the plate um and that was it's still a trick i use sometimes to record my nylon string guitar and it was edwin's uh, wizardry that came up with that idea of course and uh we uh he was at that time really into circuit bending old casios would and they were readily available in the early 2000s and in 1999 late 90s early 2000s you could just go to the secondhand stores and pick up three you know casios that that today would be worth lots more <laughs> because they yeah. were people were just getting rid of them in commodore 64s and stuff all the good things and uh there were lots of uh there's a whole subculture of 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 twisting the circuitry around and getting weird sounds out of these, these old keyboards. So we relied on that for um, a couple of records to carry us through uh, with our, you know, noise, our, our experimental urges. So there's that in the background of that song, some clicking and uh, delayed rhythm track from a Casio. Um, and Edwin was really into the hard panning. I think that I, I'm trying to remember, but I think that track is hard panned guitar in one speaker, vocals in the other. It can be disorienting <laughs> to listen to in headphones, but it has a nice yeah. effect uh, with with the um, drum and the keyboards in the center. I think that's how it was mixed, or maybe vocals in the middle, guitars right, uh, keyboard sounds left. And his, I remember him thinking, you know, you could you could just remix it with the 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 balance knob. You could just there's one mix of the song. There's one, and then there's another version of the song without the without the keyboard parts. And I thought that was kind of neat. I think um, Beatles used to hard pan things too. Yes, they did. We get the idea. Um, 
And yeah, so we, that song, I, I don't know. I, I read a lot of songs about the brain and my frustrations interfacing with people in the world all along I had um, really before I'd really thought about the use of any diagnosis or, or, uh, you know, supporting, trying to, trying to, you know, hack the ways my brain worked for the better. Um, I would, I would write songs from that perspective and, uh, and, you know, thinking back, a lot of the tunes were about, yeah, just uh, trying to find my way as, you know, every musician, every creative person has a, has a pretty, uh, has a probably the idiosyncratic way of uh, interacting and interfacing with the world. But a lot of my songs were about that, that one more than any. So I put it on the new record, a new version of it. And I try to um, subtly harken back to some of the techniques used in the first uh, version of it, but it's, it's, it's more uh, emotive and bombastic and, and uh, yeah, it just, it seemed to fit the, the, the suite of songs that we were working with. Like w- so. when you hear it, what do you what do you think about um, you know maybe things that that you you know th- th- you listen to that now and you say these are some things that I really you know brought forward and and this reflects w- what you know um, maybe just the, the the way the way you're playing even is there anything that you hear and sure. you just go this this is me you know yeah the um, well the wash of soothing or disturbing uh or scratchy sound uh that's sort of a bed for the for the for a track like having having even those early days working with edwin we just love finding um just a rumbly churning washing machine like grind on the casio and laying that down as a bed track and then playing over top of it and having that to kind of it could weave in and out just uh, it, it kind of comes out of the glitch era. A lot of people were making glitch music around that time, really chopping up the sound. We were more interested in just having almost like an ASMR soothing undertone to yeah. some of these songs. Um, there's that. There's a lot of that on the new record still, but more pedal-based, and, and it is more changing. It's not just a, even on the new things to do with Rage, it's... Uh, it's not just a consistent grinding tone. It's our grinding sound. It's a, a little more orchestrated and, and a little more improvised all at once with this uh, backing track uh, of, of, you know, various people playing various sounds through various pedals. Uh, the, uh, what was else? I was going to say some of the things we carried forward. Uh, this is the song structure that I think it's, um, it's a deceptive like I think it's in three four, but it sounds like it's in three three, and I think I drop a bar of four here and there um, to keep the listener on their toes. Uh, just the 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 time play being deceptively simple or deceptively complex in in sort of uh, the time arrangements in my tunes is something I, I've always been enamored with. Trying to throw in bars of uh, or polyrhythmic things. Oh yeah, the, the polyrhythmic bump. I think happens a bit like a three uh, bar of three placed over top of a four I think uh, is I'm pretty sure is kind of uh, conceptually the framework for that too and I think I stray from that um, polyrhythm throughout Um, and 
but dropping bars here and there, dropping beats here and there in a way and challenging myself to um, melodically tie it together so it doesn't sound out of place. It doesn't sound jarring to the listener because we're used to, you know, the four fours and the three fours. I like to do to the other time arrangements that, but do it in a way that, that, that melodically makes, make, makes sense with the melody and the lyrics over top. So um, it just ends up sounding a bit more mysterious and, 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 uh, and less look at me how weird I can write. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, as you, as you, you know, you record, um, you know, this, this one is on the, I mean, how did you put it? You called it the, um, uh, like it's, it's, it is your first full release, but you called it, it's sort of hard to find kind of thing. Is that right? It's on, yeah. it's on your Bandcamp band camp page, of course, which we will have in the show notes. Good. Um, yeah. It snuck up onto my Bandcamp about a year ago or so, two years ago. And, uh, with little fanfare, it's, there's some, it, it, sometimes I lovingly refer to it as my embarrassing early works record. And, uh, <laughs> there's a lot I stand by and a lot of things that I consider pretty formative and, and some things I haven't listened to a while that, you know, probably in the rear view mirror that I would, I would feel more nostalgia for, but there was a period a time there where a lot of it was cringy to me. So that's kind of, I don't know if you experienced that as a musician, but this, uh, I try not to write off anything I've done and I try to always have it available and always bring it forward. Um, but I know others who will abandon everything they've done in the past because of, those feelings of like, yeah, it was, it was just a, it was too, uh, what's the word? I don't know. just juvenile or something. And, uh, yeah. It's definitely part of the, part of, part of the concept with, um, you know, doing these conversations, using the track as sort of something that's, uh, you know, it's interesting to see what people feel that, uh, you know, either represents their early time or, or maybe they, as you said, there's maybe cringy things they don't want. Well, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people, I, I don't have the experience of having lyrics that I've, that exist from, you know, my high school era. So I, I can't mm. really speak to that, but I can definitely say, I know a lot of people that's, that's something that, that maybe would stand out, you know, or like say, I just, I don't know. I can't take, I can't uh, deal with that, but I think it's all part of, obviously it's like everything. It's all part of who you become. And that's that's where I'll sort of uh, you know segue into the the next section of the, of the conversation. So I call it uh, music becoming real. So mm-hmm. you're going from uh, there's this point you've recorded. You know you're in Hamilton. You're doing some of your early works. Um, you're starting to do you know the price message from the Queen things that um, that are um, you know bigger right uh, in terms of yeah. playing with more people. Uh, you're playing live shows. Uh, the question that I'm intrigued is the point where, and I know that you've, I know you've had other, I, you know, like you've had jobs that you've done throughout your uh, musical time, but what I'm interested in that point where, and, and maybe it's not one point, but for some it is, uh, where music becomes real because mm-hmm. you've been doing this thing and you're out touring or even just doing shows and something happens that triggers you to say, wow, this is something that I might do for a longer time like i you know in my case i've mentioned a few different examples of it because it's often is different things but when i I have a hamilton reference uh which is that you know when you're doing shows and you do you know in our case the inbreds were doing a bunch of i would call ontario touring and when you all of a sudden have somebody that shows up that you have respected and they give you credit for what you're doing and that is a that's a type of music becoming real because it's somebody that maybe you mm-hmm. looked up to. And uh, there was a band called the Legend Killers, 
in mm-hmm. Hamilton. And I can recall playing some point, I think it was might've been this in Hollywood or whenever could have been mid period inbreds. But I remember this, this person coming up and saying, and just basically giving us props for doing a great, uh, you know, for being, you know, is he such a surprise for him to come to the show? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that, that make you feel that this is something real and it's something worthy. So what, yeah. what would you say for you, it was for you or was there a point? Um, it was a pretty smooth transition. I, uh, yeah, I'd started going to jam nights in Hamilton at the old La Luna, which uh, is the predecessor to the current Casbah. Um, this is in the late 90s, and uh, I was in art school and would play, you know, I'd write the weirdest possible song and try to play it to an audience. And some nights I uh, would feel like, like I had alienated myself, alienated myself and everyone in the room. Other nights would feel that uh, there was a kind of perfect communication between, uh, you know, me and the audience. You know, in those moments of uh, where you lose yourself in the show, uh, and I got really compelled to, or compelled, yeah, I was really interested in f- cracking that uh, code. Why some nights uh, it worked very well, and others it didn't, and. Um, I got hooked on performing live through those uh, highs and lows and experience uh, of experiences. Uh, then started playing out or about uh, a friend of mine, Joey would also play those jam nights and he rambled across the country and back uh, for about a year or year and a half. And upon return, he said I sh- that he uh, wanted to send me out West on, on a, on a scrappy tour, and I was pretty resistant at that point, finishing art school, but still doing shows around Ontario, uh, recording with my buddy Edwin. Um, eventually, after I think my third year of university ended, and I was a bit disillusioned with uh, academia, uh, I took him up on the offer, and he. Uh, I was working with Brody at the time, Brody at the Raven, who was putting up my first record, and I said, uh, Joey, you book me out west, and Brody will book me home. Um, we'll do it. And so, uh, yeah, Joey booked me a, a you know a tooth and nail tour across Canada. I drove all the way out uh, and back. Uh, at that point, uh, Brody had booked me a great anchor show on the tour home, opening for No Means No in Calgary. I thought this is going to be awesome, and so. Uh, I was on the way out. I was still hoping for more and more shows to get myself home, uh, and they didn't. They didn't uh, appear. So when I got to the west, mm. I, I just kind of crashed. I met a friend and crashed on the sofa for a couple of weeks, and and uh, and it was raining. It was winter, and I was very at wit's end and depressed. But uh, just recontacted all the venues I'd played and said, look, can I play there again in a week? I'm trying to get home, and I have this uh, Calgary show to get to. So I booked my own tour home, played Calgary. It was uh, it was very memorable. Um, and from that, I uh, didn't stop. Uh, there was about five, let's see, I must have been about 22, 23. I just released first record I toured once. I guess the tour I'm describing was the was after my second record and gun. Um and from that, it must have been about 22. I spent about f- six years going at it. That was, I was going nonstop, basically touring constantly. Um, and it was my, my main vocation, if you could think of it that way, um, throughout the price. And then, so and gun, then the price. 
I toured nonstop and then I recorded um, Orchard and Ire and started thinking about having a backup plan um, and ended up, uh, yeah, rejoining the working, uh, being a working stiff, but also a, a traveling musician. And that's where I am today, doing both to the best of my ability. I can't really, um, yeah, if I spend too much time in one or the other, it makes me a bit uh, stir crazy. So. Uh, I find a way to do both and have a messy, messy basement. Definitely, one thing uh, I've you know noted is you you have had um, a few different, maybe even like a few different kind of like versions of the approach that you're taking to music, whether the people you're playing with or your your kind of your go to players, but also um, you know in terms of labels and the way you put your music out, uh, including Zinger at one point. And, mm-hmm. and also, you know, yeah. managers and all those things, you know, you've, you've, you've done it, you've, you've had a, a bunch of different, uh, you know, changes and things over the years. Oh, yeah. you've, you've had some, again, also some amazing videos, um, which was <laughs> one of the things I was going to mention the connection. Uh, am I correct that some of those videos were Scott Cudmore creations, some of the early days? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Message from the Queen was Scott Cudmore. And we were going to do uh, one for Thing Game too, but it never came to be. Never came to pass. Also, Jesse Ewells uh, is a Toronto uh, filmmaker, a video character who I really admire, and he did uh, a couple of videos for me, The Price and uh, Something to Hide. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Scott is, 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 is the bee's knees, too. Scott, Scott is yeah. someone that, again, I also associate with the early days of Senior. He did a couple of things oh, for sure. us. Um, yeah. he, did the, uh, he did, for my Egger project, uh, the one and only video that exists is a, a Scott creation, but yeah. he he also did these three commercials. We did a couple of Zunior commercials, which exist, yeah. and uh, one of them has Martin Tielli, and one of them it. has actually Nathan Fielder in it. It was mm-hmm. Nathan must have been one of Scott's early friends. I know, I believe Scott is doing very big videos and and yeah. film work these days. So it's very uh, interesting connection. Very busy. He's keeping very busy now. That's great. Do you remember how you met Scott? Oh my gosh. Maybe through, it might have been, I'm not sure, but it might have been through a mutual friend, Aaron Eves. Either that or just uh, uh, Scott came up to me to show sometime, but I, I have a feeling, because I know he and Aaron knew each other, so that must have been it. I used to work at a telephone store uh, in my early 20s, right after, you know, right around the time I was putting up my first record. I worked at a telephone store in Burlington, and Aaron Eves uh, worked there too. He was a sort of, we would get along because he was so silly and we, um, and, uh, we ended up, he wasn't a musician, but he was, he ended up getting into comedy and he was an actor and, and he still does a lot of comedy in Toronto. And I think he introduced me, I think he introduced me to Scott Cudmore. They both approached me about a video at one point. And then we, and then, then, yeah, that was around the time because we'd go in and film with Scott and then we'd go to the intersteer where Martin was hanging. That's out. right. The <laughs> intersteer. Right. with Martin at the intersteer. And, and uh, yeah, those were formative days too. Um, Martin lives just down the street now. He lives in Ancaster, but um, so Cudmore, we were talking about videos. What were we talking about? There's something else in there. I wanted to wedge, I want to uh, segue into, but I can't remember where I was going with it. Um, yeah, I guess that's your job. You can ask me leading <laughs> questions. Yeah. No, I was I was just going to add our, my my connection into Scott. How it happened was oh, the yeah. the inbreds had not had um, we hadn't 
we were non non-existent and then we got this very nice uh long letter from tyler clark burke oh uh, cool associated with, with three gut and she said yeah. she was doing this kind of uh i would describe it like a type of an art show series at lee's palace mm-hmm. and she said again in the nicest way possible uh you know would you guys consider doing a show and it was the I think things had come up before, but it, it never, it was never put in the, it was the way she wrote the letter that was so, so personal and unique that we, we yeah. said yes. And so we ended up doing this show where it was amazing. And when we, but mm-hmm. while we played, there was video, there was like projections on the side and it was, I think it was called the nosebleed series. Cool. Uh, essentially no, this is very Scott Cudmore, but nosebleeds. Yes. And then I remember getting either before we played or after we played going up to the bar, I'm just standing there and I'm, I'm going to get a beer and a uh, you know, person comes up beside me and says, Hey, my name's Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. I do the, I do the, the videos mm-hmm. and, uh, and we just started chatting and that, you know, came on to again, be all the, as you said, the connections with the Intersteer, Martin, uh, all, all the amazing, he did a whole bunch of videos, great, like swimmers from the early days of yes. uh, senior. And so, uh, uh, I really do associate it, you know, the, that, that specific era of, of Scott's, uh, you know, connection with, with, like I said, with you and, and many of, of the early, yeah. uh, junior, junior early, artists, but you know, your early years of the weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cause then it goes forward to, uh, again, I, I mentioned that I recently talked to, um, burning hell and we were talking about, um, Lanya Vanya and this was yeah. also a reunion flash, you know, it's qu- quite a bit forward, but, um, that was one of my first times seeing you play in your solo format. Okay, and that was at a very, very memorable show where you again. I I've not seen you that many times. Definitely not solo, but you know what you were playing, and you started walking on the bar. Do you remember okay. this? You were playing and walking across the top of the bar. It was in like Vaguely. literally through the club, and it was like it just blew. Oh me away. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, you had a little band. I think three piece for no. You said it was solo. Okay, I'm trying I, to remember. I, I, it was it was one of those festivals where they get you to do five different sets, and it was wonderful. I mean, that's a good thing. Yes, I'm just trying to remember, and, and it was each one. So one of them had a band. Another one, maybe it was a two piece. Another one was a three. Um, so I'm trying to remember when I walked across the bar, but it it kind of thing would happen. Um, but yeah, that was. I remember seeing you uh, at the, the inbreds play, and it was just so great to to see you back together. And I and I was saying, why don't you why don't you keep at it? <laughs> why don't you keep going? Was that the last time you two played together? That was so Wasn't good. the last time, but we've only played a few a few times since we. We wow. ended in '98. Yeah, you know, right again, just before you made that that song we listened to. Yeah, uh, but the that was very memorable. The because it was there was no other kind of festival that we had. I don't remember because I ended up starting these music festivals in Prince Edward County, and mm-hmm. I based a lot of the the mechanics, or at least uh, maybe emotional mechanics that I saw coming out of Lanyavanya on that because it was just Beautiful. so well done, and it was it was great. Like I said it was a great time to see. Um the interaction between all the bands, like, you know, we, yeah. like watching you, I was sitting with BA when we were watching you and then we, the next night we're watching BA and then the next night it was checking out Sheezer. And I remember, uh, I don't think you played, but you were at the bar, you know, this stuff like that. Like it was, and it these, was very, very memorable. Whole town festivals where they would sort of march between venues. It's almost like shutting down the whole town for the festival. I, I really like that. There's that, that's an approach that some of the, the the communities out west take to uh, like the Arts Wells community or now there's Ignite a festival called Ignite and they kind of what else oh uh, Tiny Lights they they take over Weimar BC and the whole town becomes the festival every you know schoolhouse or church becomes a venue 
And uh, that was the vibe I got from Lan Yvonne. It reminded me of these uh, BC festivals, but with its own uh, flair. That was something. Yeah, it was a good time. H- Hamilton also has some, uh, you know, pretty, as a music town, it's got a lot of history and a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, all, everything that Sonic Onion guys have done, and including Teenage Hat or whatever. What, what yeah. did you say about Hamilton? Like, were you really happy to be, and to this day, uh, whether in BA himself, in terms of Hamilton yeah. connection, like, do you, do you really, you know, um, where do you think you fit in the Hamilton scene? I don't know. It's just easy. I, I mean, and I never liked the idea of moving to a place to, you know, try to get my music heard or, or whatever. And I'm, I'm too lazy and disorganized for that. So, and Hamilton is, um, I, I was pretty early. I described my, my high school thing in Caledonia and I was kind of infused with this Hamilton sound or the, the heavy, mathy elements of it and uh i feel like in turn i i i i you know over the years made a little mark made a little dent in this town too so i don't think i could i mean if you know i i do i live in technically a, a suburb of hamilton um and uh you know i i'd still feel like i'm hamiltonian and um i don't I, I it would be pointless to kind of move away from it so it's just um and, 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 and I don't know exactly. I can't quite remember what you asked and, and where my answer is going, but it's not something that ever dawned on me to um, not be part of the Hamilton community and really think it was like, it's the context for my music. I think um, I, it, it was, I wanted to railroad the conversation because there was a question you, or something you asked or alluded to that I didn't really address. It had to do with management labels, things. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It, t- it does tie into my, maybe my Hamiltonianness. My, uh, I, I'm just, you know, uh, pretty laissez faire and disorganized. I, and I lack the, uh, the kind of networking social acumen to, um, really, like I've always put records out with, with friends and that's always served me really well. Um, it's never, you know, I've never had the keenest business sense, but I have, uh, uh, I'm very determined to, uh, to do things. I come up with an idea in my head and I'll, I'll do it as, as, as big and as loud as, as, as my little heart can muster. Um, but I think, you know, in the early years that kind of turned off a lot of the, uh, maybe those who, who would have the capacity to, to bring my stuff to a wider stage. Um, I would, I would be a bit forward, I think, in my social interactions to it. I like the, uh, social nuance to, uh, to, you know, play hard to get or be aloof in the right ways that you needed yeah. to yeah. navigate high school and the music industry. So, um, and, but I think that's like in retrospect, it's nice to have, a whole bunch of music that I is all mine. I can do whatever I want with, and you know, I can keep, keep chipping it away as a big part of my life till I'm 90 or however long I live. Um, and you know, it's nice to see outsidery folks like us, uh, you know, in a way the, the shambles that music industry is, is in uh, is kind of spreading to all industry. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be yeah. na- the Napsterization of, of, you know, the whole economy is happening now. So, um, in a you, way, we're part, part we're of the reason. I like, the, yeah. But I'm just going to say that part of the reason I like the context of, of podcasts, uh, is mm-hmm. that there's just stories 
if there's obviously there's an un, almost like an, an uh, unlimited number of stories about music. Uh, I'm fascinated by music, always have been, and mm-hmm. but there's you know there's almost a level of and there, there are there are some music podcasts in Canada and in the world, but for Canadian ones, you know, sometimes sometimes the easy not I shouldn't say easy. There's a version of you know you can talk about I'm going to call it the big shiny tunes level of yeah. Canadian music, mm-hmm. and there's obviously a lot of stories and things that some of those bands did. But um, I'm I'm interested in some of those stories, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm part of my thinking here and hope is that there's there's a there's a there's a, a sort of a different level. Mm-hmm. That is bands that are brought up on, uh, or artists that are, that like, common themes would be, would be touring, mm-hmm. would be maybe a music that doesn't exactly fit in to even the Canadian music scene, or maybe it fits, you know, for example, there's bands that don't fit in the Canadian scene that maybe would have fit in better in the American scene that, you know, yeah. if you were to look back with a, with a, and you're still doing music and there's plenty more to come, but you, you could ask the question, maybe, you know, maybe Wax Mannequin could have been a more of a, an American thing or a European thing. Uh, you know, there's many examples of Canadian bands that have done that. And as you said, it, sometimes it comes down to acumen and sometimes it comes down to yeah. luck and it comes down to in yeah. your case. I think there's certainly been lots of hard work. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's part of the reason I find these getting an understanding of, you know, the finer points of some of these, some of your stories here. Um, and also again, why you got into it and why you're still into it, which is yeah. kind of like a good, segue to the last part of the conversation that I call flash forward. So, yeah. you know, you know, here we are today. You've literally just put out a brand new record. Uh, I'd like to talk a bit about that, but just talk a bit about what your, what your life is like today. And, and, you know, your, um, the kind of things you got going on in music and out of music. Yeah. I've just started for, I've forgotten how hard it is, how much work is in, uh, involved in, putting out a record and I guess it doesn't need to be, but when you do something like that, you feel beholden to it. And um, so uh, part of it's fun. Talking to you is fun. Uh, Part of it's less fun. The driving is not as fun. Also things like, you know, all the online promotion stuff, you know, I'm marginally uh, functional at it, but, uh, and sometimes I, I do, a half decent job at, at making some noise online. Um, trying to get out. So I'm eager to this summer to hit cause I've got a lot of shows coming up. It's going to be, you know, I'll see how my, uh, my middle-aged, um, body and mind take to, to the touring life. I stopped drinking. So that I think will work in my favor, yes. um, in terms of my stamina. Um, but you know, shows are different now. I'm trying to do more band stuff. I think I, solo was uh, uh, something I had a lot of fun with and got quite good at um, out of necessity, though. Just it's simpler. It's easy to set up and tear down. It's uh, and there's, there's, there's no rehearsal in <laughs> uh, <and> minimal practice. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I can just I can just go. And so that'll always be a big piece of my game. Um, but, you know, over the years, I got a good a good network of sort of festivals that I can get into. And I've uh, been, I guess the past five years, really more of a festival guy than a, than a hard touring guy. Um, They kind of work together though. And you can anchor a, anchor a good tour around a good festival. Um, I'd like to get back to Europe. Uh, I'd like to crank out more uh, internet stuff to kind of 
supplement the the stories in my songs. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to muddle muddle through with with lots of ideas and um, intermittently passable execution of those ideas. I do uh, not want to not want to give up for any any long duration of time. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, back to Europe. Um, yeah, I, I made some long-standing friends over there that that keep uh, trying to uh, get me back over to do stuff, and uh, and it does. You'd mentioned sort of other other markets or whatever. Like it does feel like a real home um, for touring, but also for for just doing weird things publicly. There's more. There's a lot of context for it. I think so. I have a lot of fun. Uh, uh, rambling around there it's 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 going to be different w- when i'm you know without sort of carrying having a beer with me on the bus and and you know passing the the time with in a drunken haze it's going to be a different experience entirely but um there's a lot to, a lot i enjoy about touring europe you, you might um, end up listening to podcasts all day long who knows right yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, nothing too. Uh, I think my delusions of grandeur are, are thankfully behind me, but uh, I, I'm settled in uh, in a in a path that I think is sustainable. Uh, it's pretty pretty tiring balancing working life. I'm a teacher, teach grade seven, uh, and homeroom and art and music, and we're putting on a musical Oliver. So the kids are getting revved up uh, at the end of May. Great. They're gonna be they're gonna be singing Oliver, which is a great. It's my first sort of. I don't know if you call myself a director and in, in the kids are more directing and I'm just kind of corralling them. I'm the corraller, <laughs> uh, me and uh, another teacher, Mr. McCarg and, uh, and a dance, uh, a dance teacher, Mr. Parsons, getting the kids to learn their stuff and hopefully show up and, and put on a good play. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun and that's a good musical for me too, because it's sort of at the heart of, of British rock, you know, Oliver is a real, seminal musical as well as as a cultural touchstone for for uh music in the uk i think do you do your do the kids know that you play music this is maybe as a question you get a lot but like do, you know does how does that how does that come up do people um uh you know google you or uh or, or check out your, your 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 songs you know does that ever happen yeah yeah they figure it out pretty quickly i mean uh i don't i mean it comes up yeah, I, I don't. I don't dwell on it. Like when they when they ask about it, I'll I'll, I'll just talk about it in, in in terms of like, yeah, this is what I do. We all we all do things. You, there's some incredible athletes in their school. There's people who do dance. There's people who do music, and we all have uh, you know superhuman abilities outside of of uh, our superhuman student or te- or 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 school that or school activities right we all we all do stuff and uh and it's great if we want to talk about it if we're comfortable talking about it and bringing it up in the classroom it's great um but you know we're not going to pro- I, I don't i don't ask them about about the the dance concert they've done or the or the the hockey i mean i do we you know we discuss where appropriate and so it's just dr- drawing it's just helps clarify those lines between you know, what we want to be uh, personal, our personal story, and what we want to be our public story. And me as someone who's, like, put a lot of 
cringy or or sweary or <laughs> yes. um sometimes very you know or just like strange uh dubious stuff out there on the internet it's uh you know it comes up and and we deal with it uh, as it comes but you know i have fun with it i think it's a, a, I, I i'm proud of my backstory and uh continue writing it <laughs> you you've done uh, many many original um uh many original things but for some reason it just popped into my head you're thinking talking about touring and, and you know the mechanics of modern touring whether you know you know we had an era where we were bringing out uh, CDs and there was some highlights and lowlights about that. And then we actually had the chance to do a little bit of vinyl and vinyl is something that's mm-hmm. y- really not easy to take around with you. And then you got like t-shirts, you know, which is uh, kind of like lighter maybe, but the problem with yeah. t-shirts sizes, right? You always get, they always get the wrong, there's, you're stuck with the wrong size or something, yeah. <laughs> but you've, you've had some original products like the, the, oh, the mana sure. can, the mana candle to me, the wax mana candle was always one of the coolest things that you uh, created. And yeah, I'm, I'm still making that, those, and they tend to tend to sell a lot better than music. So <laughs> I still, well, uh, I, you know what I, I meant to ask you is just, yeah. it's got to be it's got to be challenging to bring a, a a candle that's shaped like your 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 head basically uh, on tour mm-hmm. and not break it, not let it get too hot, not let it get too cold. Is that is that a real challenge? I guess heat's a thing. Um, yeah, sometimes they turn mushy. Uh, but other than that, it's no different than any other merch. I just wrap them in uh, cloth or wrap them in bubble wrap or whatever. Um, and for a good while there, I'm not doing this as much, but I would embed my discography in them uh, on a, like a USB stick. So That's awesome. You know, at least one in five of them would burn, would get ruined. <laughs> and then I get a, a message I, from it. I, I accidentally fell asleep and your candle burnt and it destroyed the USB. What do I do? And then I just send them anywhere. I just send them the, the MP3s or whatever. I, I um, definitely recommend if you're listening to this and you want to, <laughs> you want to Google it, Google uh, the wax mana candle and or actually buy one. Can, is it possible to buy one through, through your, just when you see you live or can you get it through your site? People message me through my Insta. I, I tend to post pictures of them when I make a new batch, and people message me through Instagram. I don't have it up on the merch yet. Right now, my website's just my Bandcamp, so they have a store. I have a store. I'm going to get the candles up there, but I have to. If anyone wants to, is a, is a, is a. I mean, I could use Wix or something. What do they do now? How do you make a website? If someone wants to to approach me about to doing my next website we can talk but uh, you, you know i gotta get something up yeah i recommend there's actually one there's a thing called banzoogle that uh i i just know Band- through another podcast i like to, i like to listen to i actually recommend checking it out it's uh, sure it's interesting but it's just ca- well, taylor's it's catered to you know the needs of musicians that it's, right? it's, it's musician focused good yeah. okay banzoogle yeah, I, I rec- Banzoogle, wacky name no, but uh, you plug. might be you, you might like it it's pretty good they and they have oh, they have their claim to fame is that they've sold it's commission free merch and it's some Woo-hoo. unbelievable number. Like they've sold $10 million or a hundred million dollars worth or something for bands around the world. Anyway, that sounded like a promo. I, I'm not affiliated yeah. with Van Ziggle, but <laughs> I think you got a new sponsor. You're going to come knocking. That's good. But, uh, you know, I have, uh, I have taken up a, a full, uh, you know, a full hour for you here. And I, I want to, I do want to, um, you know, close things out. And so often I try to, you know, we've, we've done this journey from where you started and where you grew up and, all the interesting things you've done over the years and everything that's coming up. So I'd like to try to end with something that's approximates sort of a, a life lesson about making a life in music or being involved in all the, the elements of music. And so uh, one way I put it is that if you were, if you were speaking to the 12 year old version of yourself, that's sitting there, um, you know, in the, in the bedroom 
pondering, uh, maybe listening to your dad's jazz uh, piano in the background, thinking about playing music and, and maybe dreaming of life in music, what would you say to that 12 year old after everything that you've, you've seen so far? Mm. Yeah. Uh, maybe as an antidote to, um, as an antidote to the chase your dreams mentality, I would say, keep a foot in the door <laughs> of, of, I mean, I feel like that's been my mantra all along. I, 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 I my foot stuck in the, the, the door of, of music and touring and, and scrappy adventure. And it's, and I've wedged it firmly in the, in the other more uh, pedantic, but satisfying and, and deeply meaningful uh, facets of life with my, my home, my family, my, my other work, my teaching, my other work that I do, my teaching. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always thinking like, what if I'd, what if I just lived in a studio and just, uh, I mean, I know I could just make candles and CDs and shirts and tour. Um, it would be a very different life. And I think part of me would be very sad <laughs> doing that. And it's not that part of me isn't very sad now, but <laughs> a different part would feel, you know, I, I'm a bit greedy that way. I want to, f- I want to feed all the fires in me and, um, uh, Maybe maybe there's not enough fuel to go around, but uh, it certainly uh, certainly keeps it interesting. Keep a foot in the door. That was The Obelisk off 2023's The Red Brain from Wax Mannequin. And then earlier in the show, we heard the uh, embryonic track called uh, Things to Do with Rage, the original version, which also appears on the new record, but that's from 1999, early Wax Mannequin time. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, tales of scrappy adventure, as Chris put it, uh, from various uh, uh, adventures over the years. And I hope this conversation inspires you to go out and check out some of Chris's music um, over the past, could be in 20 years. And uh, I do recommend checking out his videos, actually, as we talked about in the conversation. Uh, There's some really good ones. Go to YouTube. um, You really get to see, get a flavor for the the musical and visual uh, pairing that uh, 
Chris is particularly good at uh, with uh, with the Wax Mannequin Project over the years. So I always say the same thing, which is uh, definitely also make sure that if you are going to festivals this summer, next summer, anytime, or club shows, please make an effort to go see Wax Mannequin Live, and you will appreciate the the artistry to the music that is Wax Mannequin. So this has been episode 11 of Salad Days. If you've been sticking with us this long, thank you very much. And uh, we've got much more coming. And I look forward to seeing you again next time right here. And I want to say thanks again to Chris, a.k.a. Wax Mannequin, for joining us today. Amazing stories and really great to catch up. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and tell all your best music-loving friends about it. Today's episode was brought to you by Zunior.com and me, Lemonade Dave. I've done a lot of things in music over the years, but these days, I mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in Prince Edward County. I'm going to crack a cold one right now. But if you're ever in PEC, be sure to ask for it by name and tell them Dave sent you. Dave had it made. Sitting pretty in the shade. Heaven gave him lemons and squeezed it into lemonade. To think a drink without the trouble of drinking drinks and shots and doubles. He said, Hark, I'll make it sparkle. And he added stuff to make it bubble. Lemonade. Like the sparkling lemonade If it's hot, I'll get a bottle Even if it's not, I'll get a bottle, that is